Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Gabe F, Luke A, Paul M, and Ryan S. We have new guests on the program introducing a new gold exploration company, Mr. Rano Pertu, CEO and Chairman, and Mr. Steve Craig, Technical Advisor, are with us, representing Provenance Gold Corp, a gold exploration junior focused on its projects in Oregon and Nevada, United States. The company is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol PAU, as well as on the US OTC markets under the symbol PVGDF. Rado, Steve, thank you for coming on the program. Welcome. I'm looking forward to hearing more about this company, but why don't we start off here with backgrounds and experience first in the junior natural resource sector. Rano, how about you take it away first? Well, first of all, I, I'm a geologist that have been for a lot of years. Uh, I'm uh, at the point where I have about 50 years of experience, uh, mostly in the mineral sector. I've been a lot of commodities in both junior and senior positions, and uh, gold is uh, one of my favorites. And uh, our company was based on uh, gold exploration when I got a call from uh, friends who wanted to take advantage of what we thought was going to be a gold boom coming up. And uh, we did. Uh, we are here now uh, with uh, jumping forward uh, with two great projects. And in those great projects, uh, I turn to Steve Craig, who is also on this, uh, who is a longtime friend, a, an expert on Nevada and an expert on gold. And I, I can ad lib further, but uh, let's leave it at that for the moment. Uh, I've had a lot of experience on both discovering, exploring for uh, gold in development of projects. Steve? Well, I'm pretty much compared with what Rano was saying. I've got over 50 years in the business. Uh, what's unique about my early experience, I grew up in a 10,000 foot high mining camp called Leadville, Colorado, and I grew up on mine dumps, so I was doing geology long before I had a degree. Anyway, I've got a couple of advanced degrees, uh, one of them economic ore deposits, so that became my love of my life, and I've been chasing deposits of all types my entire career. Uh, the first uh, half of my career was with Denicott Exploration, and I ran the Nevada office with about 30 people under my wings. And uh, we made a lot of discoveries, drilled a lot of holes, acquired a lot of projects, probably out of the 100 or so projects that we acquired, probably 10 of them, you know, 10% became deposits of some sort. So anyway, I was involved with some of the early work that, uh, that Kennecott had at Rawhide, Barney's Canyon. I even got over to Papua New Guinea, to Lehigh Island, which turned out to be a 40 million ounce gold deposit being operated by Newcrest right now. Um, so that was extremely exciting and informative in my education. After I left Kennecott, uh, basically due to a, a series of management changes, uh, I didn't like their corporate philosophy. So I decided my 
throw my hat in the ring with junior companies. So anyway, I was lucky to get in with a bunch of good junior companies uh, where I had advanced stage projects that I could go out and explore, map, sample, drill, and develop additional resources. This, this ranged from gold, silver, and copper at that time. Uh, later on, I, I changed companies again and um, helped develop a couple of mines in Nevada, uh, or redeveloped them. They were closed down, and uh, I helped uh, arrange uh, the permitting uh, and so forth. So uh, I got a heck of an education on the full spectrum of mining from exploration, development, to construction, you know, to production. And uh, interject here, uh, Steve. Uh, one of the things that I really liked, uh, first of all, I met Steve uh, when uh, I was director of business development for Kennecott and he was running uh, the Nevada office. And uh, in that situation, I learned how good he was at uh, exploration and uh, gold project evaluation. So uh, when uh, we decided that we, Provenance, decided that we wanted to uh, focus on Nevada as an early best place to be. Uh, I called uh, two or three geologists and I asked them for their best uh, targets out there. Uh, when I called Steve, I said, Steve, I want a project that's going to be solid. It has to have uh, enough information on it already that it's not uh, grassroots. It has to have uh, potential for size and strong economics. Uh, he came up with a short list of about 11 or 12 projects. We went out and visited them, and uh, the net result is we have two right now that we think are pretty spectacular. I appreciate that, and some pretty interesting backgrounds there. And Steve, just with some of your comments, just you know, learning on the ground and gaining that experience and that education doing the work on the ground. And I think that's important. I think all of us on the call can agree that definitely experience matters an incredible amount compared to say a desktop university education helps in some places, but generally uh, in this sector experience is what really counts. And interesting comments with PNG and some of the amazing gold deposits that can come up over there. Before we get into the company, I wanna just ask you guys each to get your views on the gold market at this point. You know, we're past the halfway point here in 2023. Any thoughts on the gold market here? Any maybe supply demand insights you have and how you see gold performing over the next couple of years? Uh, Ronald, why don't you take it away? Okay, I think uh, that the gold is right now underappreciated. Uh, we have a situation in the world where there have been very few new gold discoveries of any size uh, for the past several years. Uh, production is not keeping up at all uh, with uh, consumption and sale of gold. Uh, so we have a population in the world that's growing. We have demand for gold that's growing and a supply that's shrinking. Uh, I think it's an ideal time uh, to be in the gold business because despite the fact that right now we're in one of the worst junior company situations I've seen in 50 years, it's going to turn around and I think it's going to turn around as it always does unexpectedly and very, very rapidly. In that situation, I would not be at all surprised that gold will go over 2000, stay over 2000, especially when you look at the, the, the problems that the world is having. Uh, ignore the obvious uh, political problems. Uh, 
there's a situation where uh, several countries are starting to go back to backing part of their currency with gold. The central banks are absorbing gold as well. That disjointed background for gold is one thing to me, and that's that gold is going to rise, I think, and be solid for the next several years. I don't believe in these $5,000, $10,000 per ounce stories that you hear, but $2,000 an ounce gold is a very attractive number, especially when you have great projects. Well, uh, you know, I follow the gold market pretty close because we're tied to gold, obviously. Let's say that I've been disappointed at uh, the junior company performance this past year. Uh, there's very few investors that are coming into gold right now. I think they've been taken away by the artificial intelligence boom that's out there. Uh, the lithium, which I think is going to be a flash in the pan because there's other developments for other types of batteries right now. So, so lithium might go away, but in the meantime, gold has been ignored along with silver. And, uh, you know, it's been very disappointing to me because we've got these great projects and in a normal market, instead of the low price that we have now, we should be up at a 50 cents to a dollar, but we're not. So we're trying to deal with that. Uh, I do believe that gold is the future. Uh, you have to believe that if you're in this business. I think we just have to bear through the uh, political winds, the enamored interest in these other odd things that are going down. I shouldn't say odd because these are really big, uh, big issues with the uh, artificial intelligence and um, you know so any, anyway our time will come sooner the better but uh, we've seen this before it always turns yes it does steve and that's a great comment and say what you will about ai the bottom line of it is is everything in this world needs mining and it needs energy it's an interesting market and you know the contrarian nature of it right now is a good place to be uh, if i can add one thing sure. here that, that's that uh, uh, with this uh, lack of new discovery that's going on in uh, gold worldwide, the majors are uh, shrinking their reserves. And uh, I think we're in a situation where we have a little junior here, a Provenance Gold, that has two major projects. And uh, uh, we are going to uh, get on their radar here. So Steve is right that our current price is ridiculous. Uh, the value is there. We can do it by one of several different ways to increase that value, and we're looking at all of them. I think it's going to be a very good year coming up for us. Let's stick with you for a moment, and why don't you give us a, a brief, quick overview, if you will, because we'll get into more details, cap structure and projects and some of the people and some other things in a moment. But why don't we just get a quick overview of Provenance Gold? Provenance Gold is a very small junior. We are a company that has acquired and done initial drilling on and confirmed that we have two major uh, projects. One of them is in the northeast corner of uh, Nevada. It's White Rock. Uh, it has all the earmarks to me uh, of a uh, project uh, that Liberty Gold has called uh, Black Pine in, in nearby uh, Idaho and uh, nearby is very close. 
uh, I think it's going to become a, a significant uh, discovery as we keep drilling. Uh, right now, it had 65 historic holes. We drilled 34 more, and we've begun to outline a continuous, substantial gold area that's uh, more than three kilometers uh, long, 3.2 by 1.6 kilometers of virtually continuous surface mineralization. The drill holes are confirming that it's a big system. El Dorado in Eastern Oregon, I had always ignored uh, Oregon, even though I live in Oregon. And the reason is that the, the political climate in Western Oregon has always been so strongly anti-mining that we didn't want to have any part of it. Uh, a friend who uh, I've known for years who worked with Dog Yammy, Oregon's Department of Geology and Industries regulatory body that controls the mining in Oregon, called me and said, you really need to get back into Oregon. The climate is changing. Eastern Oregon is a friendly place to be. Basically, I, I think you should be taking a look at it. Then uh, looked at uh, the uh, El Dorado situation. Steve uh, brought that to our attention after we decided we were going to be in Oregon. And it looks spectacular. By the way, stepping back here, one of the things that I did learn on the political development side is that Eastern Oregon not only wants to break away from Oregon and become part of Idaho for obvious reasons, uh, at the same time, uh, the Malheur County area in Eastern Oregon, where our deposit is, is very strongly pro-mining. They see uh, how uh, wealthy the Nevada counties nearby have gotten from uh, gold production, and they want some of the same. Uh, so uh, I think our, our political climate out there is uh, very favorable for development. Uh, to that end, there's a project uh, uh, that is being developed by Paramount Gold that's only about, uh, what, 40 miles, Steve, something like that from us in a straight line? Yeah. 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 And uh, it will be permitted in the next uh, three months or so uh, for development. I think that's going to open the floodgates uh, for development in eastern Oregon. Uh, there is nothing in uh, the Oregon uh, regulatory aspects that uh, prevents development. Uh, there is a very strong political move to develop Eastern Oregon, supported by the uh, Salem government for uh, uh, Eastern Oregon, which is a very poor area to uh, get wealthier by gold development. So uh, I think we're coming in at a perfect storm situation. Maybe Steve, well, um, talk about what El Dorado is about because uh, you're the one who's been handling all the technical aspects on that. You know, I've studied Oregon for quite some time. I used to do exploration in Oregon when I was with Canicott. So I've been over a lot of country up there and there is some really interesting areas. It's almost as if we've got the start of a Nevada boom that's been stalled in Oregon. Uh, I think we're in a mega district right now with El Dorado, but there's very little exploration. But you tell me why there's gold plasters everywhere, everywhere up there in, in eastern Oregon, uh, around Baker, all the way down to Vail. It's just crazy that there's so much gold in plasters. Well, when you have gold in plasters, then where's the bedrock source? Well, in El Dorado, we found one. Going back to the political issues that uh, has has dogged Oregon exploration for years, uh, it is changing. And I would not have brought El Dorado to Provenance if I didn't think we could make a mine 
whenever I evaluate a significant project like this, I look for fatal flaws, and I didn't see any. You know, uh, maybe the closest one would be the political challenge, but that's changing. It does take time to develop a large mine. With that thought in mind, you know, I felt very strongly that Providence needed this project, you know, to move forward. Once I got into the project, uh, there were a lot of drill holes that were already put into it, you know, on the order of 240. As I got further into the database and the information, I discovered that some of the earlier holes that were drilled in the 1980s, that far back, couldn't use our modern assay techniques. So their cutoffs were uh, around 0.01 ounces, 0.02 ounces. So we don't know what those holes really contain. So I'm going to remove probably 40 of those holes from the database because they're inconsequential. The other thing that I discovered that one of the early operators who drilled probably 120 holes used a small Cantera type buddy buggy rig and it is only capable of drilling down to 300 feet. Well, my goodness, at 300 feet, we started busting into major higher grade gold values. So uh, so we've got a lot of drilling to come up with. Uh, what they did for us, and it's a gift, is identify mineralized areas that needed to be redrilled. So uh, I'm pretty excited with how this has evolved with just a very short drilling program that we had there. So anyway, I could probably go on on Eldorado for quite some time because I just love the project. I have never drilled such thick intervals of continuous gold mineralization from right from the surface all the way down to where we have had a tendency to lose our holes in structural zone that has a lot of water. So uh, uh, that's what usually where the high grade is. Being responsible for the QAQC of the project, I've been studying what's happening and uh, uh, I think one of the things that I need to do is uh, doing is to do a metallic sieve because some of our assays are kind of uh, not repeatable. Well, that tells me there's visible gold in the sample that didn't get accounted for in the small amount of pulp that was uh, uh, used. So with metallic sieve, you basically crush a one kilogram sample down to about minus 150 and plus 150 mesh, which is really tiny. And you assay both fractions after you weighed both of them, and then you can recalculate what the uh, actual grade is. Uh, what I've seen with metallic sieve analyses in the past, it usually increases the overall grade because you're actually assaying metallic gold, which was missed in the first assay. If I can add on to what you're saying there, because it's important, is uh, I had a major gold discovery I made in, in Montana. And uh, in that uh, project, I found that uh, we had coarse gold, same kind of earmarks that we're seeing at El Dorado. I, I went to bulk sampling, uh, and the bulk sampling raised the overall grade of all the samples we had uh, uh, more than 40%. Uh, in individual areas that took low grade and put it into high grade. Uh, I, I'm expecting that we're going to have some of that same feature develop at El Dorado. So combined with the metal screens, we're going to do some bulk testing as well. Uh, because if you can picture a large volume of rock that has a few high grade chunks of gold in it, 
and you try to hit it with a drill, uh, you're going to miss it almost all the time. Uh, if you can increase the volume of sample from one ounce, which is the normal fire assay, uh, to pounds, you have a much better chance. That's why they increase in grade. That's what we're going to be doing. Go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the other thing about El Dorado, based on the historic records, which a lot of them were lost, so I've got a big QAQC problem such as I'm going out and finding every drill hole collar that I can find just to verify that they should be in the database, for instance. The only resource model that was done way back in mid-1990 was done by Pincock, Allen & Holt, which is one of the pioneers engineering companies that developed new computer age resource modeling. You know, their techniques were fairly simple but a computer did it, so they they had assigned search radiuses and and so forth, and uh, they basically developed a protocol for future software evolution and so forth. But but these guys came up at different cutoff grades, a resource that was close to a million ounces, just with the drill holes that they had available, and um, actually not all of them. I think they only used about 160 of those drill holes out of the 240. Uh, some of those hadn't been drilled yet. One thing here on that too, which is important again, uh, that's that sure. they also were limiting, the, uh, they were limited by that 300 foot maximum depth of almost all of the holes and wide spacing. What we have found is that uh, we have had a very, very strong uh, gold zone coming in at about 300 feet and uh, going down for the next 300 plus feet beyond that, so go ahead. With that in mind, it literally opens up the way I think about El Dorado Project. If you've got a million ounces that you can see and there's limited drilling, and I mean limited drilling, you're gonna expand that, that mineralized portion significantly. So definitely it will be above a million ounces could be two, could be four, based on some earlier estimates given by the past operators. So, so I'm extremely excited about that. Now, one of the other things that the historic database held were some metallurgical test work. It was done by a qualified lab in Salt Lake City. They uh, did bulk sampling and gold recoveries, and uh, they found that a lot of the gold is quite recoverable up to 90%, 95% if you do a fine grind and then put cyanide on it. So we have a superb milling situation here where we can get a huge chunk of the gold out, upward of 95% uh, rather than maybe 80% from a leach pad because with a leach pad, your crush size is a, is a lot larger. So a lot of times the uh, cyanide will not touch gold that's sort of inside the rock or inside quartz or whatever it is. So those tests are going to begin here real soon. So we're going to have a lot to talk about this coming fall with both these uh, Alex Siv assays and metallurgical test work. So I'm pretty excited about what we're going to see because we've already been given the blueprint of what, what was found in the past. All we have to do is reconfirm and move forward. Again, an extremely exciting project to me. Again, I've drilled a lot of gold deposits, but this one is real special. It's got the grade and it's got the thickness. I like that. 
And there's even one uh, additional thing on that uh, recovery that was done historically. That's that uh, one of the labs was able to do a combination of uh, gravity on the front end and flotation on the back end, and they got recoveries in the 90s percent, never using chemicals, including cyanide. So uh, that, is, that really caught my attention. I think that can open up the door for much faster permitting situations in the future. Appreciate the, uh, the comments on that and the information, Steve. I want to back up here for a moment, Rado, and come back to capital structure for a moment, and then let's jump back to El Dorado in terms of, okay. uh, can you give us the shares outstanding at this point? The current financing that is taking place right now is in the works. And then just give us a little bit of information as far as, you know, what your guys' expected cash on hand is post this financing, and then also the major shareholders. Okay. Uh, the uh, major shareholders, you'll have to go to Rob on for details, but uh, it's it's fairly tightly controlled on the company uh, and, and good hands that are not the short term, they're long term. We have about 80 million shares outstanding right now. Our current financing uh, has been oversubscribed. We had a target uh, of 800,000 Canadian and uh, we're beyond that. So uh, we're comfortable with our current financing situation because we're trying to keep the dilution down to a minimum while still getting enough money to keep the projects going and uh, get the company into the situation that we want, which is uh, being an attractive uh, company when the gold market turns around, which will happen in the next several months. And just one other thing on this, talk a little bit about some of the other people there. You mentioned Rob, and then just a few other folks, obviously, besides Steve. Yeah, uh, uh, Rob is uh, our guy who makes uh, all of the mechanics of the company run. But beyond that, he's uh, a, a very good man for not only uh, the financial end, covering all of the uh, the government regulatory aspects. Uh, he's a workaholic, uh, which, uh, you know, I appreciate workaholics when they're working for you. And, uh, and he is, he's extremely focused on making the company a success. We do our uh, financial stuff uh, through a, a firm in Toronto to make it a little easier on Rob. Our board is only three members strong, myself, Rob, and Tom Martin. So uh, we are lean and mean right now, and uh, we haven't wanted to take on the normal, let's hire X number of people for the simple reason they cost money. And uh, we want to put all our money into the ground and expanding the company at this point. Uh, uh, when we've uh, gotten to the point where uh, we are comfortable, we can add people as we need them. Ronald, thank you for that. Um, Steve, talk just a little bit about the history of the project. I know you already covered it a little bit, but there was an option here for the company to get this project from Nevada Select Royalty. Just talk about that background a little bit, the option, and just one more time, you know, why it's really compelling to you uh, in the short term to expand. I'm probably famous in Nevada. You know, that's <laughs> what people tell me. Because <laughs> I I've been... Uh, president of many mining associations, you know, exploration associations, including the Geological Society of Nevada, or the old Northwest Mining Association, worked with them for many years, uh, Prospectors Association, and I don't know how many, you kind of forget that, but over over my 
over the years of being in Nevada, everybody knows who Steve Craig is. I may not know them, but they know me because I've been up on stage. They can see me and stuff like that. Uh, so um, because of that, you know, I'm, I'm probably overly friendly to people. I'm very honest. And uh, I've established some true, you know, hardcore friends over the years. One of those friends is Jerry Boffman, which I helped make him a millionaire in another junior company deal that I got him into. He's gotten to the point where his job is uh, is currently as president of a royalty company. So his job is to go out and find good properties that he could market to other companies to get the work done. And then if they're successful, then, you know, then he'll get a royalty payment in the end, way down the road. Because of our friendship, he brought both the White Rock Project to me, which I had drilled in an earlier life, and the uh, uh, El Dorado. Uh, project as literally as, as first offer. So uh, when it came to El Dorado, he showed me a couple of sheets of paper that had a map of some select drill holes with the assays next to them. And I took one look at that, and within five seconds, I told him, I want this project, Jerry. Do whatever it takes to get it to provenance. So, um, so that was the start of that process there. And the same thing with uh, White Rock. Because I was familiar with it, it was an easy decision. As I know that uh, past operators, including uh, my group, uh, had had drilled some significant intervals of lower grade gold than what we had at uh, El Dorado. But, but there's gold everywhere up there at uh, White Rock. That's sort of the short and the sweet of how we got in into uh, uh, El Dorado. The deal that we cut was a two and a half million dollar option to purchase agreement, and uh, you know with escalating payments because he's a royalty company. He demanded a three percent royalty, so um, I didn't think that was bad, especially with the grades that I was seeing in that early data. So we got the deal signed, and off we went, getting drill permits and then drilling. So we, we were extremely happy how that all evolved. Uh, going back a little further now, looking at the history, El Dorado was discovered in about 1860 or 70. First thing that the old timers did was build a 60 mile long irrigation ditch to bring water to uh, treat the uh, gravels that were gold rich around El Dorado. So you go there today and everything has been plastered all over the place, including rock that was uh, uncovered that is mineralized, bedrock that's mineralized. So you can see it uh, very nicely. So they plastered for, oh, probably up until the 30s and uh, took a lot of gold out of there. I hate to try to guess, but it could have been anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000 ounces of gold, uh, knowing that the old timers didn't report everything. They would always just pocket it, but they had major, major operations there with what they used were what's called back then giants, which is a great big nozzle that focuses the water flow under high pressure into the bank where they cut and wash everything out. A lot of that material goes into a sluice box and that's where they recover the gold. So it was a significant operation from many creeks around El Dorado. So El Dorado is the source of the gold and it's quite obvious when you go there. 
Uh, Steve, on that uh, gold area, what's really intriguing to me is that uh, there's historic plastering that goes beyond where we've drilled in all directions, including uphill. Uh, and uh, as you know, gravity yeah. works. So uh, there's go uh, gold mineralization that hasn't even been looked at in those directions. Oh, yes. I've been looking at some of the private ranches around there. They all have plaster operations on them. It's it's crazy, you know. So as we move forward, we're going to have to do land acquisition, expand our land position, turn this thing into a multi-million ounce project in the end, which I believe we have that opportunity there. So yeah, I just we have that opportunity on the ground. We already have uh, the expansions. We'll turn it into a, uh, I think, a new district area that is going to be yeah. very impressive. What are the plans there just with respect to uh, your guys' potential expansion of grounds there to explore, but then also what are the land arrangements for the audience in terms of is everything on private grounds? We talk on federal, state, county lands. What's the setup there? All our current claims are on uh, Bureau of Land Management ground, 100%. What the past explorers did uh, is... Uh, also expanded beyond that. Uh, the uh, ranches and uh, right next to us uh, have the surface, but they don't have the minerals. The BLM retained the minerals. Uh, we actually formed a, uh, uh, signed a form with the BLM where uh, we had exclusive right to pick up the ground out there. And uh, we do plan to expand our, our land position Right now, all the mineralization we're talking about, all the drilling area that we have is on our property, uh, uh, but uh, the mineralization continues right up to the edges of our property in, in obvious places. So we do plan a bigger program. We're not concerned about encroachment by others right now, uh, but uh, we have to do one thing at a time uh, as we have money and time. Yeah, well, certainly I think this area, I mean, it's, the trends obviously come into Eastern Oregon as well. Oregon is more difficult jurisdiction than, of course, Nevada and Idaho are. But if there is a new operation to be built there in Oregon, I think you guys are correct in the sense that there would be more attraction from juniors to come into the state, which obviously right now that's not necessarily the case until we see permits issued and all green lights. Let me ask you this, Steve, first, and then I'd like to get Rano's thoughts. But what do you think makes for an attractive project in terms of size? I mean, we've talked a little bit here about maybe some of the parameters, but talk about the size, what kind of grades you think work well. Obviously the recoveries seem to work pretty well here. This is, you know, conventional open pit, really straightforward mining exercise here, but talk about what you think an overall scale would be, including those parameters to really get investors and maybe even mid-tiers, maybe majors interested in a specific project in this region. You know, every every project is different. Uh, there's, there's nuances to every project based on their location, based on uh, the uh, metallurgical characteristics of the of the mineralized material, you know, the, the average grade and so forth. But this one is very attractive to a junior company like uh, Providence Gold. This is where discoveries are made with the junior companies. The majors can't do it. So you basically have to hand them, you know, a, a platter with a project on it. And they don't have to think too much about what's, what they're getting into. You know, they can see it. So, you know, so we've got a lot of work to do. And, yeah. Uh, 
expand on that. Uh, the junior producers, not junior explorers, but the junior producers are the ideal uh, host for us uh, for the simple reason they have the cash flow, they have uh, the desire to grow into a bigger company. And uh, most importantly for us, uh, if we make a standard deal with one of those companies, as part of it is cash, a large part of it is actually shares in that company. And that company will benefit very strongly from the acquisition of our projects. So uh, it's a plus plus for investors for us. Need a good chunk of capital and you need to put it in the right place to be able to turn and prove those millions of ounces for sure. But Ronald, I want to talk about what you guys are planning on doing, say, over the next year or so at El Dorado to start to prove up that expansion of ounces and talk just briefly about the plan there and when you guys think you'll be able to get drills on the ground. And then I want to move on just briefly to White Rock and Silver Bow. On El Dorado, we are planning uh, some limited uh, core drilling shortly to answer several questions. And uh, one of the questions that we want to answer with that core drilling is, uh, I had a uh, the project where uh, my coring showed, I made a discovery in Montana, I'll back up, uh, where we had very, very strong values, uh, uh, much better than a half an ounce per ton in the core. We came in with an RC rig and it went to zilch. Uh, uh, we found the gold was being washed away uh, by uh, uh, the groundwater in the reverse circulation drilling. Uh, I think uh, that uh, the, we are having that same problem at El Dorado, despite the fact we're getting really, really good uh, assays. Uh, the drill mud from very limited sampling we had is showing that a lot of the gold is escaping. Uh, so. Uh, we want to do some core drilling to get a handle on just how much that uh, problem is going to be a problem uh, moving forward. Uh, also, it shows us the structure because we have some ideas on the structure that will be confirmed, I think, by uh, limited core drilling. Uh, that core drilling uh, may happen as early as the next couple of months. Then uh, next summer, we will be uh, expanding drilling uh, to get the project expanded vertically as well as horizontally. Uh, it's not going to be a, a initially a, as a serious a problem as you might think because we do have those 100 and, uh, or 242 drill holes already historically drilled. We are uh, in the process of validating those drill holes by drilling additional new holes showing that that data was good, which we know it was. So that would give us uh, our first basis in a new resource rather quickly. And beyond that, it's going to be a series of step-out drilling programs and uh, vertically deeper drilling programs that uh, put the, the gold into uh, a confirmed category and into a probable and speculative uh, category that will be enough to attract major development companies. Well, I want to cover off here as well, and it looks like we've got quite a bit of potential news coming here over the next uh, few months on some of this advancement at El Dorado. I would like to get just a little bit of thoughts from you and Steve as well on what you guys are planning to do with White Rock and then also Silver Bow. These are in Nevada. Uh, just tell us briefly about these projects and what the plans are. Is there any immediate plans for these? You know, El Dorado is the core project at this point. 
Silver Bow uh, is uh, uh, on the shelf right now because we want to put all our money uh, into the, the other two projects. Uh, White Rock uh, is uh, fully permitted for our next round of drilling. That next round of drilling, I think, is going to be in a, a really good area. At the same time, that uh, uh, program we had there before we turned to El Dorado uh, hit a, a feeder structure, and we can focus on uh, that feeder structure as well as the areas to the south, uh, to the southwest and southeast. And uh, I think that's going to grow dramatically, uh, permitted as is right now for that work. Uh, the reason that we ha didn't drill it this year is because we were putting our money into uh, El Dorado because of the great results. And uh, we needed that uh, bang for the buck to get the uh, eyeballs on our company. Uh, go ahead, Steve. We do, we do want to drill it. I don't think we have the capital resources to drill it this year. Uh, it is uh, early September, come mid-November, and we get snowed out like we did last year which was very difficult. I would love to get some holes into it. If we could find a joint venture partner that could take it over, I'd welcome them immediately to start advancing this thing. But right now we've got 100% control of it. It's very cheap to hold. And uh, the deal that we got with Jerry Boffman is a sweetheart deal. So that's not a problem. It's fully permitted. I've gotten real good at permitting some of these uh, projects that Providence has. It's easy to get the permits, and keep them under five acres disturbance so that uh, you can keep going a long time without developing a plan of operations with associated uh, NEPA studies and so forth. That's about all I can say about White Rock. It's, it is a really good project. I was very sorry we didn't get it after it this year. You guys would be open to potential joint ventures or monetization of either White Rock or Silver Bow. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Correct. But whatever we do on that front has to be to the best interest of the shareholders, because uh, we know we have much more value than what's uh, shown on paper right now. And uh, we're not going to lose any of that by making a deal. So we are open for a joint venture on White Rock, uh, and uh, we are very much open for uh, things beyond a joint venture with the right operating smaller company. Thank you, Rano, for confirming that. Back to you, Rano, here just briefly. Any plans for the primary listing upgrade, maybe over the next, call it a year or maybe two years, plans to get off the CSE and maybe move to the TSXV, or maybe even better if the company is successful with Eldorado? Uh, just talk about that potential. And then also uh, just your guys' overall plans to get more awareness about the company out to the market in the coming months. On uh, moving up to a, uh, say, a more recognized exchange, uh, uh, we've been discussing that, but uh, we wanted to uh, get our projects into more visibility before we make that move. So that's one that uh, Rob and I and Tom will have to discuss over the next several months. First of all, Steve and I are both technical people. Uh, we know how to find deposits. We know how to evaluate them, how to develop them, all of that. The other end of the, of the junior market, as you know, is getting the publicity and attention. In that area, uh, we have been 
putting out news that uh, hasn't had much of a response. I think part of that is uh, because of the current lack of interest in juniors, which will change. Our strategy is coming on programs like this to make people aware that uh, we are not one of those 90% uh, dog meat uh, junior companies. We're part of that uh, very small group that has serious projects, uh, experience management, and uh, we're going to turn these into something pretty spectacular. Well, guys, I think we'll leave it there for now. I would like to just uh, check in one more time with both of you, just get your final comments to wrap up here for the potential investors out there who are listening in. The company does have a market capitalization of about 8 million Canadian dollars. Why should investors consider Provenance Gold at this stage? Well, I actually have even put family and friends into provenance because uh, our true value should be much, much higher than what it is right now. Uh, if you use the standard formulas evaluating a company by the number of ounces it has, uh, when we continue drilling on our two projects, uh, that should uh, make a major change in the company. But uh, even at this stage, before we get there, uh, when people start recognizing we're a small junior company that has two solid, economically uh, outstanding-looking projects, uh, one in Nevada, one in Eastern Oregon, which is actually a turning into a, a future uh, new gold area with uh, comfort, and I think comfort because Eastern Oregon is very pro-mining, then our company should have a much, much higher share value than it has right now. I, I'm surprised it hasn't. And Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, since I'm responsible for advancing the project, there's going to be a lot of good news come out of the future. So I think any investor who wants to capitalize on a, an opportunity, telling them now is the time to take a look at provenance because it's going to get better as we move forward. As we get our assays back, et cetera, and continue our work on even our current data, there's going to be some very strong news coming out. As we do our next rounds of exploration, that's going to get even better. I agree with Steve. We have nothing but upside on turning this into a serious company with major projects. Yeah, I do have to say that because of the marketing, uh, financing effort, you know, we stopped the release of all information from our drilling program. We do have four holes available for uh, press releases coming up here real soon whenever I get to go ahead to release that stuff. Thank you for the comments on that. And Rano, what is the best way for folks to reach out to the company? For any technical information, uh, I actually have my phone number on the website and on the business, and we have Rob to call, and Rob is very good on that. We are available. That's one of the nice things about having such a small company. You don't go into this morass of trying to reach somebody that you really want to talk to. You can never get there today. Well, in our company, you can get there. You can uh, talk to Rob or to me or to Steve. Well, guys, thank you. Appreciate the time here to look at this and to get an introduction for this company. And best of luck in the coming months. Looking forward to seeing some of that news. And thank you again for the time. Thank you. Thank you.